0: This is Angel Insights brought to you by Syndicate Room, the show that takes you inside the world of some of the best angel and early stage investors in the business. And joining us today we have Simon Bicara. Simon is an active angel and advisor with investments in the likes of Gin, Ignite the Accelerator, Fit Gurus, and many more incredible companies. He's also the founder of Hired by Me, the tool that helps contractors get hired faster. And prior to being immersed in the world of startups and investing, Simon spent several years at Barclays before seeing the light and Moving to the tech space. Now, if you enjoy the show today with Simon and would like to see more information, then you can head over to www.syndicateroom.com where you can find the Investor Academy with more articles, podcasts, and information. But for now, I'm delighted to hand over to Simon Bicara. Simon, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Now, I'd love to hear about first how you got into the world of angel investing. So, what was really your entry point?
1: Well, I'd been uh, doing sort of big corporate jobs for for quite a while, um, and going back sort of five years or so, I started to think more about what was coming out in the uh, in the tech startup world in London. Got more and more interested in that. Uh, early 2014, I ended up leaving my role at Barclays and really got uh, quite involved then uh, in that startup world because it's after so long in big jobs in big firms. I really wanted to go back and get my hands dirty, um, both with doing my own things, but also with uh, helping other people to bring stuff to market.
0: In terms of getting hands dirty bringing to market, what's the most common value add that you seem to provide your portfolio companies? Is there common strands that they struggle with? Well,
1: uh, yeah, I think that those are actually two different questions. Um, one is, you know, as an advisor or an investor, how can I help people out? And I, I suppose what people tend to tell me I've been helpful with is, is one is the kind of general commercial and strategic advice. So how are we doing this? What, are we, what should we do in this particular position? How should we be selling to this person? Um, let's have a look at the numbers and see where the issues are and, and try and figure stuff out. But the other one is also helping people to understand where the value is in their business. So through, for example, uh, the Ignite program and through people who've come off the back of that, one of the things that I seem to be able to do for people is to help them understand that, yeah, they've got a pretty decent start, a pretty decent idea. But actually, if we rotate it by 90 degrees and we add this bell over here and take away that whistle over there, we have a business which is much more effective, much more profitable and potentially much bigger as well. And that kind of change can be really very effective. And then your other question is, what are the common mistakes that people make? Um, And that is, that's just, you see the same mistakes, you see the same people making the same errors all the time. Uh, So much so that I actually run a presentation at Ignite called Six Pieces of Free Advice, which is about the six most common errors that uh, startups seem to make once they've got past the, the basic one of not being a, a random bunch of clowns and having an idea that's basically going to make them any money at all.
0: I'm really intrigued, though, uh, going back, you said about Barclays there. How how do you think your financial background lends to now your angel investing? You know, a lot of angel investors are ex-operations and ex-startup guys. So, coming from the opposite side of the table of kind of the institutional finance uh, background, how does that lend to the angel investing, do you think?
1: At Barclays, I was a managing director in technology. So I wasn't a, uh, a finance guy at Barclays, as it were. So I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't an investment banker or, or a trader. I, I think it's more that being in a big institution and having spent you know, 25 years of my life working in big firms, you, by osmosis, you pick up a lot of stuff about how life should work. And I remember going into my first that set of mentoring with Ignite, I was actually really nervous because my perception was that all of these teams would be just amazing, right? They would be the most intelligent, the cleverest, the most worldly wise group of early 20 year olds that we'd ever seen. And I was really worried that I would sit down with these teams for half an hour and they'd be going, excuse me, but fuck off granddad. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I sit down with the first team and they say, okay, well, this is what we're doing. And I sit there for a few minutes and think about it. It's okay. Well, have you thought about these four things? And they go, that's amazing. How did you think of that? And I'm sitting there going, okay, this might be a bit easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> the reality is, of course, that most, um, well, many startups are run by people without that much life experience and. When you've sat inside a big firm and you've seen how to do all these things, because generally big firms are okay at doing a lot of these big things, there's a lot you can bring to bear just by saying, here's a way to do it. It may not be the best way, but here's a way I've seen, or here's another way I've seen. And that can help people to understand what good looks like.
0: And you said obviously run by, in, in many cases, uh, useful and, and sometimes uh, people lacking the operational experience that maybe, you know, you and others have. Do you get a, a sense of confidence from a particular type of founder? Be it an ex-technologist at Google or a ex-professor at Cambridge? What sort of founder gives you confidence?
1: That's a really good question,
0: actually. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm always, I, I, I always yeah. see a Google badge, Facebook badge, and get instant confidence, which is very wrong of me, and it's actually a judgment I'm trying to
1: change. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I do actually, um, and that's partially because of the the area that I tend to get involved. So, uh, I tend to work with firms. Similarly to say Doug and Andy at a very early stage. So we're talking about pre seed or, or early seed stage. And at that point, the firms are often little more than an idea and maybe an MVP. And what you're looking for at that stage perhaps isn't all the operational experience because you can get that, right? You can hire somebody who's got that operational experience or you can get some advisors to help you out with it. What tends to give me confidence is people who are willing to listen are willing are not so wedded to their idea that they don't recognize that at that stage you're almost certainly going to have to pivot a couple of times before they get to the right point. Um, and have got the ability to graft and really hustle and find the way through what's going to be a bit of a bit of a maze to get them to the point where they have a viable business. And if I think about all the teams that I've seen coming out, it's incredibly rare that someone has an idea, builds it, takes it to market and then it's successful. That just doesn't seem to happen at that stage. What happens is people have an idea, they build it, they build the wrong thing, it's working slightly the wrong way, they have to change it four more times and then finally find the product market fit and then they can really leverage it and take it to market properly.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm just intrigued how you approach to deal sourcing. You mentioned Ignite there. I know you work closely with Doug and Andy. What, what's your kind of preferred techniques?
1: I think probably the vast bulk of the deal flow that I do comes through Ignite. Uh, and the reason for that is that it gives you a, an almost a built-in due diligence. Uh, Because you work with these portfolio companies through the mentoring process and through the program, you have essentially 14 weeks to get to know the people, to get to know the idea, and to see how they work in quite a lot of detail. So you see them at an early stage before they're admitted to the program. You see them in the early stages of the program, the mid stages of the program, the latter stages of the program. You see how much they've listened. You see how much they've taken advice from other people. You see how they've matured as individuals. And you can really get to know them as people. Whereas if you take deal flow from, let's say, uh, somebody rings you up and says, look, I've got a fantastic idea. It might be a brilliant idea and they might be an amazing team, but you're going to make the investment decision based on maybe just a few hours of, of chatting to them. And that's that's nowhere near as good a due diligence as those 14 weeks where you've seen them develop as individuals.
0: Absolutely. No, you truly see the life cycle and progression. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In, in terms of when you look back now, you, you started Angel Investing in 2014. Uh, how, how have you Altered and changed as an investor. If you were to do a self-evaluation on yourself now compared to then, how how have you changed? I think I'm. I think I'm more
1: confident as an investor. Uh, I think I understand um, myself and what I can bring to the to the table more. Uh, I think I'm. I've got better at selecting companies. I've got better at understanding what I'm looking for in in a founder or in a firm. Um, I think you have to. Go through some errors in order to uh, in order to really you know, establish that for yourself, uh, both in terms of companies that you pass on and in terms of those that you invest in. Um, and I think the market's matured as well, and I think it's changing all the time. The market as it was in 2014 isn't isn't the same as it is now. You know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry now seems to want to be an angel investor. Um, there's well, a lot is of is
0: that good for you? Because I'm always put, I'm always slightly confused and and questioning whether dumb money is still good money. Uh, you know, to a large extent, it is in many cases but what's your take on kind of the maturation of the industry as angels and how it's increased competitive wise
1: well i think the problem is that there's going to be some fallout the media often presents this kind of investing particularly in an area of historically low interest rates as being money for old rope you know you you get some clever guys in a room you give them an idea and then mysteriously millions of dollars will pour out at the end of the tube and i think a lot of people going into it are kind of driven there because they're getting no yield on money they've got in their savings accounts. Obviously, the tax breaks that the government offers are are very generous. And I'm not sure that every person who's putting their money in really understands the level of risk they're undertaking. It. It's easy to to bat around numbers like 95% of the money is going to fail. But I'm not sure if people... Kind of have a really emotionally internalized how likely that means that, that they will actually end up with nothing for the investment money that they put in. So I, I do worry that there's going to be a bit of a fallout and that some of that dumb money will then turn around and try and sue someone for some random thing that they've said because they haven't understood that you know, early stage startups are an unbelievably risky thing to do.
0: What mindset do you go in? Do you go into in angel investing with the mindset that I'm prepared to lose this cash? Because that's kind of the, the approach I always adopt. Lately.
1: you have to, yeah. you, you have to. You have to. If if you've got a portfolio spreadsheet, you, you should, uh, you know, it tells you what you're worth or whatever. You should immediately write down any money you put into zero, mm-hmm. because the chances are it, it will be worth nothing. Um, you should have a mental view that says actually on paper. How is it doing? Um, so you take it. You either take a view, or you take the last valuation, and you see where you are. Of course, but in reality, until that money materializes until it cashes out you can't afford to value it at anything you shouldn't bet your pension on it Um, you shouldn't bet money you can't afford to lose on it but hopefully the portfolio at least washes its face and and for me as an angel investor I don't really do it to earn a lot of money Um, I hope that my portfolio overall will have a reasonable return but I'm far more interested in the interest and the excitement in working with young entrepreneurs and finding interesting ideas and interesting teams and working with them than I am in monetizing that out the back end
0: from the perspective of startups say you obviously mentioned working with entrepreneurs and we spoke about the dangers for angel investors of maybe getting their, their fingers burned um but but for the startups is this flow of money a good thing like is dumb money bad for startups do you think
1: that's a really interesting question i suppose there's two ways to look at it so one is that um if it's easier to get ideas funded then many flowers will bloom, and many people, you know as an individual, are, are you then able to find money, and are you able to, to find more money and generate your idea and so on? Is that a good thing for you as an individual? Probably yes. Is it a good thing for the industry as a whole? I, I'm not sure, because I think there are some ideas that get funded that perhaps shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the dumb money starts to come in, you do look at some of these things that people are funding, and you go, "Really? you want to put people put money into that?" And then you find out what valuation they've done, and you go, really? All right, well, good luck. I hope it works out for you, but uh, it seems a bit unlikely. And what you don't want, of course, is big high-profile failures and lots of people losing their money and the industry acquiring a reputation for being a bit of a a boiler room, uh, which then means that genuine sensible money chooses not to come into it and, and the danger is that you have a bit of a boom and then a bit of a bust and it gets really hard to raise money for genuinely good ideas at a sensible valuation
0: mm-hmm. absolutely does a bust not excite you as an investor in the way that you know you have a clear and tangible value add and, and, and backing in this industry so and it you know often the likes of chris sacker have said that actually busts clear out the driftwood from the industry and just return valuations to a more normal standard does does that agree with you like does that excite you i think uh, i'm not sure that i agree with that and i think um the
1: problem with a bust a bit like the problem with a depression in the economy is that it it overblows what the situation actually is so it's if things were to correct to a more sensible valuation then yeah that's that's fine you know and actually what you want to do is you want to see that drifting into that position over time. The problem with a bus is it tends to be rapid and catastrophic. The kind of things that come with that is a complete cessation of investment activity while people worry about where things are going to go. You know, When the knife is falling, it's a very brave man who wants to reach out and catch it. And the issue that that gives you then is that genuinely good teams with really good ideas who are doing well may then find they actually can't fund because everybody's too nervous at that point. And so as a result, you destroy true value because just because people can't fund it because of the the nervousness and that seems to me like a bad thing if you were then to look back in two years time yes of course you know it would be okay but during that period you could destroy a lot of value so i would much rather see a kind of gradual shakeout rather than a uh, you know an overnight bust
0: absolutely we mentioned valuations there how do you find the current valuation environment today do you, do you feel it is quite inflated compared to a couple of years ago Well, valuations
1: are voodoo, as we all know, um, especially at that very early stage uh, where there are typically few metrics uh, on which to really judge the firms. It's certainly true that looking in London, the valuations have been – so I invest in London, I invest in Newcastle. Uh, and looking in London, I look at some of the valuations that people are raising out at the moment and I'm surprised – When I look at the the firms coming out of Newcastle, I think the valuations are still pretty sensible. With early stage firms who are, say, coming off something like Ignite and are are early in their life cycle, they maybe have a little bit of revenue, but not very much. Once valuations for those firms start tipping over a million quid, then I start to think we are in an area of inflated valuation. Because how you can argue that, that something that is little more than an idea, a basic product, And maybe some traction is worth more than a million quid. I I just struggle with that concept, to be honest, as an investor.
0: I got a company the other day, had a a 9 million valuation and it had an MVP and 10 users. And I was uh, taken aback, to say the least.
1: It's just insane, isn't it? I mean, you know... on what basis did they justify that
0: valuation uh a few future projections um in five years time they were expecting like 10 million users it was it was a bizarre dating company um but anyway anyway i, d- I do want to talk about uh, one element before we dive into a quick fire there and you said about learning from errors there uh what errors have you made along the way and and how have you learned from them and adopted a new strategy because of the errors you made have there been any standout moments
1: i think yeah. um I think there've been quite. A, I mean, there've been a lot. Uh, and anyone who says that they haven't, I think, is is lying, because um, I, I know that early days there are companies I thought would do well that didn't, and companies I thought would do terribly uh, that did really well. So, what would I? What would I kind of pull out from that? I think, as an investor, what has come home to me again and again is the importance of the team. When you start off either as a, a founder or as an investor, you get very excited by ideas. You look at. What the business is and what it could be, and you get very excited by that. Over time, what you realize is that ideas are ten a penny. Ideas are frankly, almost valueless. The number of people who come to see me and said, well, I've got this brilliant idea. And what I'd like to do is give you the idea and you can do all the execution and I'll just keep 20%. And they think that's a good deal for somebody else. The reality is the idea is worth nothing. Ideas are easy to copy. Um, It's very hard to create protection. What is important is the execution. And that is the difference between an idea being successful and an idea failing. Uh, And the execution is driven almost entirely by the quality of the team. So. I think the big standout learning is that you have to always value the team and the traction of course over the idea
0: do you have a, a war story that you did share with us uh, and obviously no names but but something that that didn't go right because of maybe poor execution on behalf of the founding team
1: um, yeah I, I, I will anonymize this yeah absolutely do so it was a it was a company which had a, a really in, they had a really interesting product technically very strong and innovative it was something where again as part of the interaction with them myself and uh, another investor had looked at it and come up with a way to pivot that product and make it potentially unbelievably successful so we, we had taken something that had could have been somewhat successful could have been a good value company And come up with an idea that would turn it into a potential unicorn, which absolutely dominate a space which even today doesn't quite exist, but will exist over the next two to five years. And we lined up some investment. Uh, We were working with a lot of people to try and bring that idea to fruition. And then the team essentially just collapsed. The uh, original founder wasn't able to deliver on the revised business plans. Um, they had a falling out among the founders. Um, the developments that they were supposed to put in place didn't work. Uh, and luckily, this was before the investment round had closed. Uh, but it was so frustrating because the product was good. As, you know, The product that they had originally was good. The product concept we had was unbelievably strong. But the execution just let the whole thing down. And uh, it was a lot of time wasted. Luckily, not a lot of money, uh, but it was a a real lesson in the value of founders and execution over ideas.
0: And I'd love to dive into a quick fire with you now. So I say a short statement and then you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? That sounds great. So your favourite investing resource, so it could be a newsletter, blog, a book. What's your favourite?
1: My network, my people. I mean, I, I don't read a lot of blogs. I have very little time to read books, but I do like to spend a lot of time talking to people. I like, you know, drinking coffee and eating dinner and having drinks um, and just chatting to people about what's going on. And for me, that's a far more effective way of getting information.
0: What's the biggest challenge for you in in your role as an angel investor?
1: Finding the right deals and getting the right balance of time spent with teams versus leaving them to their own devices.
0: What would you like to see more of in London's early stage investing ecosystem? Realism. (laughs) And, and, And then finishing on your most recent investment and why you said yes. So, we're just in the middle
1: of uh, funding a new firm called Disperse. Um, again, they're out of the Ignite program. I love the, the product and I love the team.
0: And a huge hand to Simon for giving up his time today to be on the show. And if you enjoyed the show with Simon State and would like to see more information, then you can head over to syndicateroom.com where you can find the Investor Academy with more articles, podcasts, and information. As always, we so appreciate your support and cannot wait to bring you next week's episode.